We're a church planting church. I'll say more about that later. And I gave you a request several weeks ago to pray for our church in Manhattan that we help plant Everyday Christian Church with Chris Travis because the New York City government had passed a resolution saying that churches couldn't meet in public school buildings anymore. And that case has gone all the way to be presented to the Supreme Court. We ask you to pray because the court was supposed to decide by the end of February whether they were going to take the case. Well, they still haven't decided, so we still need to pray. Because the consequences for church planning literally across the country could be quite devastating if it's determined that school districts have the right and city governments have the right to say churches can't meet in those kinds of public places. So keep praying about that, and as soon as we get more word, we will let you know. Now, next week is Easter, and I'm so excited, and I'm just going to be bold. Uh, I've got a great message to bring. God's put it on my heart. He put it on my heart months ago. It's just been stewing. I'm starting a new series called Alive and Free, and here's the idea behind it, that a lot of people have resurrection life, but they're still in bondage, that Jesus Christ didn't come out of the grave just so that we could have an okay life, but so that we could have an abundant life. So we're going to talk about the kind of freedom that resurrection will bring. And it will bless you, but I know it will bless your friend. There are thousands upon thousands of people in Tarrant County that will not worship next week the risen Christ for one simple reason. Nobody invited them. Don't let that be your friend. And let's pack this place three times next Sunday to celebrate the risen Christ. Um, And then finally... Uh, I need prayer. Jamie left yesterday for San Antonio uh, to go visit her brother and sister to uh, deal with some matters pertaining to her mother's estate. And she asked me to do the laundry and put it away while she was gone, which means I've got four days to fold a fitted sheet. So would you please remember me when you go before the Father because this is a trial bigger than any I've ever faced. So, we've been in this series titled Unleashed, and we're going to look at Unleashed Mission today. And since we're talking about mission, I thought it might be fun to start with a joke that actually is popular in another country. This is a popular joke in Russia. So, a man decides he wants to order a new car. He calls the factory and he says, now, if I order the car today, how long will it take before I can get the car? And the man at the factory said, it'll take five years. We can deliver it the first Monday in September, five years from now. And the man said, will that be in the morning or in the afternoon? And the guy at the factory says, what does it matter in five years whether we bring it in the morning or the afternoon? He said, well, the plumber's coming in the morning. So (laughs) no matter where you live, waiting is a part of life. Maybe it's more a part in some than other places. But I don't care where you live, waiting is a part of life. But there are some things too important to be put on hold. If you get in bed and you start to smell smoke, you don't say, well, in the morning, I need to see where that's coming from. That's on the can't wait list. If you start to have chest pains, your arm starts to go numb. You don't say, good thing I've got a doctor's appointment next month. I'll ask him what that could be. Some things are on the can't be put on hold list. And number one on that list should be the mission of God. So Acts begins with this giving of a mission. 
You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So it's clear that Jesus is beginning a movement that he expects to be global. But for six chapters, it has only been local. The church has not moved out of Jerusalem. She has not stepped into her manifest destiny as a universal move of God. Now, she has preached it. Remember the first gospel sermon in Acts 2. Peter says, you need to repent and be baptized and you'll receive forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Spirit, and this promise is for you and for all who are far off. And in the Bible, you can see it in places like Ephesians 2. Far off is code for Gentiles. It's code for the rest of the world. In the very first sermon, the mission was announced that this is a global movement. But it hadn't left the city. The far off were still left out of this new work of God. And that's why Acts 7 and 8 are so important. They're the bridge that is going to get the mission of God out of the city and on the road to reaching the world. Now, we're going to pick up Acts next year with chapter 9, and we're going to look at the man that God is going to use to take the gospel literally to the capital of the empire. But Acts 7 and 8 are going to be that bridge for us. Mission impossible is going to become mission unstoppable. Mission on hold is going to become mission unleashed. And before I show you what unleashes the mission of God, let me just make one point real clear. Christianity is a converting religion. We don't apologize for that. Because if the message of Jesus is true, if he was really the son of God, if he really did die for all of our sins, if he really did come up from the dead, If the message of Jesus is true, it's not just true for anybody. It's true for everybody. And so we need to stop thinking of the church as having some missionaries. And we need to start seeing the church as a missionary community. Missions is not a slice of the pie in the church budget. Mission is the pie. And we're all missionaries. We are all saved to be sent. Or to put it another way, the church must scatter to matter. And you'll see in a moment why I chose that word. Because the church can't be a movement if it never moves. And so all through the Bible, you have this rhythm where the people of God gather, but then they scatter, and then they gather again, and then they scatter. And so I'm not trying to minimize the importance of gatherings like this right now. What I am saying is that we do not gather to escape the world. We gather to encourage each other and to get renewed so that we can take on the mission of engaging the world. We are the salt of the earth. 
But sometimes salt gets stuck in the salt shaker. You ever noticed that? You ever picked up a salt shaker and the salt won't come out? So what do you do? You apply some pressure to the shaker to get the salt out where it belongs. And so does God. And so in chapter 8, verse 1, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And that word scattered is a farming term. It was the word for the farmer that takes the seed and he, he just starts tossing it where it needs to be for a harvest. See, the enemies of church saw this new move that was on fire. And they thought by persecution they could pour water on it. All they did was pour gas on it. The church didn't stay put, but the church wouldn't shut up. Because God will not leave well enough alone. You need to understand something about God. He has a missionary heart. And He will not allow His mission to be put on hold. So Acts is not the exception, but it is the example of what happens when mission impossible becomes mission unstoppable. When mission on hold becomes mission unleashed. And three things we're going to see unleash the mission of God. The first is when test becomes testimony. Now we just read that a persecution broke out. What caused it? Well, the persecution resulted in proclamation, which is ironic because proclamation caused the persecution. It all started with a sermon. And let me just tell you from experience, sermons can cause trouble. Okay, now this sermon was preached by a guy named Stephen. We met him in Acts 6. He was one of the seven chosen to help the widows. But he was also a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So he goes to this synagogue called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. It was a bunch of people who had been released from other countries and uh, positions, and they'd come to Jerusalem, places like Cilicia, which is important because the capital of Cilicia was Tarsus. And there's this young, zealous rabbi named Saul, among others, listening to Stephen preach. Up to this point, people thought Christianity was just kind of a subset of Judaism. But they listen to Stephen and they start to realize he's much more inclusive than we're comfortable with. He's saying things that make us nervous. And they trump up charges and say, this guy is preaching against God's temple and preaching against the law of Moses. And there's this delicious little... uh, Note at the last of the chapter that says, they looked at Stephen and his face shone like an angel. Who's the only person in the Old Testament whose face ever shone? It was Moses. He was looking like the man they said he was attacking. And so Stephen starts to preach. And here's what I've learned. People love their history just as long as you don't tell the truth. We like revisionist history. Well, Peter, I mean, Stephen, he just preaches the history of the Jews. He's got three points in his sermon. Number one, God has always worked outside the temple. In fact, he's worked outside of Palestine with Abraham, with Moses. God's always been doing his best work outside of Israel. You can't put God in a box and tell him to stay there. Point number two, who are you to blame anybody about keeping the law? Our history says we've never been good at keeping the law. Point number three. We are always rejecting God's chosen. 
His brothers rejected Joseph. The people rejected Moses. We killed all the prophets. You say Jesus can't be Messiah because we rejected him. That's what we always do whenever God chooses somebody. We reject them. He just told the truth. And they couldn't stand it. It says, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. He's the first man to die for this new move of God. He died just like Jesus. But notice also, he got treated just like Jesus. And in Acts, the mission was not leashed because the first Christians were willing to get lashed. They understood what all missionaries understand. When you go and you tell a story that people aren't ready to hear, they will mistreat you. And so, for example, you have verses like 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Okay, now what I'm about to say could be misunderstood, but listen closely. It concerns me that so many Christians today sound so upset that their rights are being denied, that we're not being entitled to majority status, that we're not getting treated like we're the home team. We've never been the home team. We should not be surprised that dominant culture is going to push back. We've always been an alternative culture. We're the visiting team. We're going to get pushed back. And that's okay because the truth is, adversity has always provided our greatest opportunity. It says those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And there was great joy in that city. Isn't it interesting? There's great joy in that city because people were willing to suffer in this city. The mission is unleashed when disciples are willing to go through anything as long as the gospel can keep going through them. Adoniram Judson was the first missionary in Burma. He was treated horribly. He was imprisoned for 17 months, kept in chains that literally mangled his body for the rest of his life. When he was let out of prison, he asked if he could go to another part of Burma, and the ruler said, no, you can't. He said, I'm not worried that people will listen to your words. I'm worried they'll be persuaded by your scars. And for 20 centuries, our scars have been some of our best sermons. Isn't it true that your testimony is the strongest when your test was the hardest? William Booth founded the Salvation Army. He was savagely criticized by the government and the papers. His son Bramwell brought another article that just ripped him up. And his father said, son, 
in 50 years, it's not going to matter how anybody treated us. It's just going to matter, did we stay faithful to the work of God? It's not going to matter at your school, in your neighborhood, at your job. It's going to matter, did you stay on mission? You know, the mission, though, it's not always leashed by opposition on the outside. Sometimes it's leashed by stuff on the inside. But it's unleashed when lost trumps past. In Acts 7 and 8, you see past ideas about God getting challenged. Like, for example, the idea that you could reduce God to one spot and put him in a box and say he's got to stay in that room. Or the idea that God is only going to be concerned about one particular people and not notice the rest. Or the idea that God can only operate one particular way. For example, in Acts 8, they go to Samaria and a funny thing happens. They baptize people, but they don't receive the Holy Spirit like they did back in Jerusalem. Peter and John come up, pray, put hands on them, the Holy Spirit comes down. Well, that's not how God did it in the past. That's not how it's not supposed to work. Listen, God is God, and God is a missionary. And when missionaries go on the field, they adapt to whatever they need to do for the mission. And, and so you don't tell God, well, that's where you got to stay, and that's who you got to love, and that's how you got to do it. What happens when you realize that God is bigger than what you thought about Him or how you served Him in the past? God's a missionary. He is always on the move, and the church has always struggled to keep up with Him. And we drift. We drift off mission with God, partly because we get so devoted to how things were in the past, we stop thinking about the lost. We get our focus off finding the lost, and we start focusing on the past. Churches almost inevitably drift from thinking about the outsider thinking about the insider and pretty soon taking care of the gathered becomes the mission I get calls every week from leaders of churches most of them dying or stagnant and worried what can we do and when I began to say well maybe you could do this maybe you could try this new thing Oh, no, no, we couldn't do that. It would upset people and they would leave. Okay, here is the preeminent sign of a dying church. They are more concerned about who might leave than they are about who might come. Sports illustration. You've watched soccer games. They have a thing called the penalty kick. The ball is 12 yards from the net. These guys kick it 60 to 80 miles an hour. Professional soccer players make that kick 85% of the time. But they did a very interesting study. You ever seen a, uh, at the end a shootout with a tie score? And so they have five players from each team do these kicks. Suppose you're the last kicker, number five, and your team is behind by one. So you're not kicking to win the game. You're just trying to make it not to lose. 
the success rate goes down to 62%. Suppose you're the fifth kicker and the score is tied. Now you're not kicking not to lose. You're kicking to win. The success rate goes up to 92%. A 30% difference. Are you kicking not to lose? Or are you kicking to win? And a lot of churches are playing not to lose. I have a friend named Tim Harlow. I called him because I had called a bunch of pastors I know across America at great churches saying, how do you measure whether you're staying on your mission? Tim went to this church in Chicago about 20 years ago, about two or 300 people. Now it's about eight or 9,000. They baptize six to 800 people every year. I said, Tim, how do you assist if you're staying on mission? Here's what he said. I always try to find out if people are mad because I'm leaning too far in the direction of the prodigal. That's how I know. The elder brothers will always get mad if you're giving the prodigal too much attention. And so a few years ago, I became very convinced. Our church, we, we were worshiping our past and we needed to make some changes. We needed to do some new things, be open to some new ways to serve God. And some people got angry and they said, Rick, you got a secret agenda. It wasn't a secret. My agenda has never been a secret. I'll tell you what it is right now. My agenda is that we can win as many as possible, by all means possible, just as soon as possible, into the kingdom of God. That's my agenda. And the mission will stall when we let God get small. And he's got to stay in one place and love one people and do things one way. But God... He's a big God. God's a missionary. It's not that we're asking God to bless our mission work. It's saying, God, can we be a blessing to your mission work? Can we join you? Can we stay open to the new and fresh ways that you're moving in the world? That's why my favorite church in the Bible is the church in Antioch. First church to preach to Gentile people. First church to send out a mission team. It was the first church where people were called Christians. You cannot stay where you are and be on the move at the same time, can you? And so the mission is unleashed when we'll turn test into our testimony, when we'll let loss trump past. And one more thing, when race and grace meet. See, the dominant theology of Jesus' day was, well, God's going to throw a big party, but most people aren't invited. And Jesus came along not to change God's attitude, but to reveal what His attitude always has been. And so in Acts 7 and 8, you see, God is the greatest seeker of all. And if we're on mission with God, we are constantly putting people on the invitation list that thought they were off. So, for example, in Acts 8, so Philip is having this great revival in Samaria and many people are getting saved and God calls him out of a big crowd to go out to the desert for one person. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian. Eunuch. 
Well, he's already got three strikes against him. His race, his physical condition. The Old Testament says eunuchs can't go into the temple. And his complete lack of Bible knowledge. Oh, he had a Bible. He didn't understand what it meant. By the way, I wish I could give everybody in the world a Bible, but just giving people a Bible is not enough. You've got to accompany the Bible with personal witness. So he's reading this Bible, but he's not getting it. He had been up to Jerusalem to see if he could learn more about God and got all the way up there and found out you can't even go in the temple. And so isn't God good? He couldn't enter the temple, so God sent a temple to him. And God said, go get up in that chariot. And so it says Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized. Why did he ask that question? Because all his life he'd been told what stood in the way. His race stood in the way. His physical condition stood in the way. And 20 centuries later, maybe nothing is still leashing the mission of God. Like racism. And if you love the gospel, you must hate any vestige of racism. Because racism is opposed to the gospel. Racism is legalism. Racism implies the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross wasn't enough for everybody. Just for some. When Gandhi was a student in college... Disturbed about the caste system in India, he became intrigued by the teachings of Jesus. He went to a church and was met at the door by the usher, informed that he needed to go to a church where people of his kind worshipped. And he said, if Christianity has a caste system too, I might as well stay a Hindu. If we're going to unleash the mission of God, we must refuse to let Anything stand in the way of a person needing His grace. So read it for yourself. God orchestrated the move of His kingdom into Africa and the black people before He sent it to Europe and the white people. But He did send it to Europe. And guess who He used? A young, zealous rabbi named Saul that had approved of the murder of Stephen. God is a missionary. And he will not let his mission be put on hold. He is so full of surprises. And I want to be wherever he is. That's why we are a church planting church. That's why we have a 2020 vision. That's why one part of that vision is called Samaria, where we are intentionally starting churches with planters from other ethnicities to reach people groups that we haven't tried to reach in the past. So just last weekend, for example, there was the launch of Restoration Church in Philadelphia. And Restoration Church uh, was led by Watson Jones, 
And they had their first meeting in a school there. They had 152 people show up. A great percentage of them visitors, a great percentage of them who don't know Jesus, even some Muslims showed up because they want to know more about this guy named Jesus. And that's where we want to be because we think God is in Samaria. God is in Samaria before we are asking us to join Him. And so I ask you, where has God's mission been on hold? In your life. Have you ever thought that. You were not scattered. To your neighborhood. Or your job. Or your school. By accident. And so my question for you. Is what's your next move. You are a part of a movement of God. A God. Who won't sit still. So what's your next move? Because our God's not just hoping people find Christ. So, where is your Samaria? What is your desert road? Who is your Ethiopian? God didn't call you to play not to lose. You and I were called to risk and to trust sometimes to be misunderstood and even mistreated, always to love. What move do you need to unleash? Well, Father, I'm, I'm just praying right now these words will be received, not to produce guilt, but to produce passion to recharge batteries and renew energy. We're not asking you, God, to bless our mission. We're asking, where can we be a blessing to your mission? Where can we do more? Where can we be available? Father, we, we know that you didn't call us to stay in the salt shaker. And so we receive today our calling and our commission to move, to scatter, and to take this good word about Jesus wherever it needs to go. Father, we're here today and we are saved because you have a missionary heart. May our heart be more like yours, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's all stand up. And so around the room, there are going to be prayer warriors and leaders. They just want to minister to you. So what's your next move? Maybe your next move is to confess a struggle. Maybe your next move is to ask for wisdom. Well, what about this? Maybe your next move is to be baptized. Maybe you are the Ethiopian. You don't know a lot about Jesus, but you know this much. He's the Son of God. And your next move is to publicly declare faith in Him. I don't know what it is. I just know it's time to unleash the next move. You please come while we worship our Lord.